BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Merkel. Media. The Mockingbirds. Welcome back to another motherfucking episode of Kill the Mockingbirds with your host, Sean Chris, Joel Thomas hunting down the diddler. Oh my god, he looks like it is, it's Pete Diddy, and he's diddling kids left and right, man, but somehow he keeps getting away from the law, man, I don't know what's going on, but he's just so shifty. Brah, brah. I like this right here. Ooh, I don't know if I needed to do that. <laughs> he likes shots right there. Right there. He thought those were back shots. <laughs> yeah, he he was a misunderstood what you meant, man. He thought you were going to clap clap. When he heard all the butt cheeks tight, he was like, loosen them up. He wants to loosen them up for sure, but like in a different way. You can now check out killthemockingbirds.com. Freshly up. Listen to the podcast there, man. You can get all the new episodes. We got a lot of new features coming out. Got things coming up. But you can still follow us on Instagram, Kill the Mockingbirds Podcast, or Van Tessa Music on Instagram, Sean Chris Music on Instagram, or Telegram, which has been a little bit uh that's out, I'm not gonna lie, man. We we got a lot going on. So I think uh we've been we kinda posting there. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like uh we're like Jay from Crypto. Yeah. Corner, where Justin was like, Hey man, I don't think he's really posting there, and he's like, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> really, that I know that think that is how it is. Yeah, I've been posting new episodes where they drop in there, man. But uh, for the most part, we're just really focused on the website right now. Um, Instagram, we're out of jail. So we're posting stuff all during the week. 
I know Sean's got some stuff coming up too. Got some live stuff coming up, which will be dope. So we got a lot of cool things coming up on Instagram. Tell you throw us in jail again, but you know we'll we'll keep we'll keep doing what we're doing there. We know we got a lot of people that support us there too. So follow us there. Obviously, go to killermockingbirds.com. If you need to send us anything you want to ask questions or whatever there's a little contact form at the bottom all you gotta do is fill it out send us whatever question we can get right back to you from there and in saying that this is the inaugural where we're going to showcase an artist from a music platform and these guys from this band reached out to us and they follow the podcast they dig the music that sean and i do and we're like look once you check us out is there anything you know you could do for us and listen sean and i've said it before we're not gatekeepers so we're always here to support great artists and these guys are really good and they've got a really dope new album called the first domino the name of the band is vital and the shadowy figures and we wanted to showcase one of their songs off the album. So at the end of this episode, we're going to play Lockstep Angels. And they've got some great stuff in there, guys. Robot Cowboy, China White, False Flag, Character Assassination. They've got some great songs. And it's in that style of that, like, Beck style of uh, band stuff. Man, stuff I used to listen to, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Just really got a really good sound, but very... Uh, uh, an updated sound as well. So really good band. I want you guys to go check them out. Go support them. We'll have all of their links in the show notes too so you guys can get to them. I also want to read one of the five-star reviews because we've been doing that and you guys have been fantastic on the five-star reviews on Apple and Spotify. And I encourage any of you right now while you're listening, unless you're driving so you don't kill yourself or anybody else in the car. But if you can, while you're listening, go give us a five-star review. Write a nice review for us on Apple. Go to Spotify, check out the polls that we do every week on every episode. You can even write a nice little uh, review there per episode. When you do this for us, it helps us get deeper in algorithms so people can check out our podcast where it just gets filtered to them, which we're getting a lot of now. So we really appreciate that, guys. But I want to read. Now, this person didn't even give us a name. It was just a bunch of numbers. One, two, three, four, five. It was a bunch of, that's all they gave us. But it says one of the few. Hey, guys, I just want to say that this podcast is one of the few places that I can legitimate, get legitimate, unbiased, and off-the-wall theories about the world we live in, whether that be cryptozoological, the dark secrets of the elites. I just want to thank you all for all the great information you all put out there. Side note for Joel, I'm from northwest Georgia and was just wondering what area you're from. I'm originally, I don't live there anymore, but I'm originally from the uh, Young Harris area. I used to live on the side of a mountain. My granddad owned a bunch of land up there, and I used to live up there. So that's where I'm from, the Blairsville area, Hiawassee, um, very close to the Smoky Mountains and a lot of the Cherokee reservations up that way. So that's the housekeeping. Yeah, <laughs> and don't forget, you could still check out our music, Joel Thomas and Sean Chris on all music streaming platforms. You know, and then you could kind of be like... <laughs> Yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. That's what I was wondering too, but go check out the music, support it out. But without further ado, let's get into the real reason why everybody's here.
Puffgate, right? Puffgate, man. People don't really realize like how dangerous this man is. Like he really is. So I'm not. I know I'm kidding a little bit, but <laughs> he's probably li- he is listening closely right now and not to sign us. I will tell you that. <laughs> No, nah, that dude would never sign us. Uh, yeah, Diddy is something special, man. I, you know, I just coming up in hip hop and watching him for, whew, man, got to be almost 25, 30 years now, and just seeing him operate. And yeah, he's 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 a real gangster. And if you really want to map it out, that's what he is, man. Uh, I don't think he started out being a gangster per se, but I think he surrounded himself with a lot of goons. And I think he built himself into what you would consider like a corporate gangster. And I think that's what he is now. And I think he's got a lot of ties to the occult. I think he's got a lot of ties to nefarious dealings when it comes to children and manipulation and control. And I think that's what he gets off on ultimately. Yeah, and you could kind of see some of it on... Um, I thought it was interesting to like how he got his name Puff, right? Puff is from like uh, his childhood days. He would huff and puff. You know, he couldn't breathe that well. I'm guessing he had like asthma attacks and things of that nature. And they kind of stuck with him. And then, you know, he was Puffy and Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Diddy. 2017, he tried Brother Love. And then like uh, I think a couple years ago, he tried Love, you know, like I'm Love. Like I'm probably like the Meta World Peace. That alone to me, like, I mean, you got Puffy 1995, Puff Daddy 1996, P. Diddy 2001, Diddy 2005, 2007 Brother Love, and then Love 2021. And then you notice he keeps rebranding. And one of the things I thought about that, the reason I bring it up, is I felt like, you know, there's occultic angles of it or people Gematria might be able to see the significance of the numbers. But what I found interesting is like, did he, he changed his name so much, it's kind of hard to dig on him, right? Because one thing is connected to Puffy, one thing's connected to Puff Daddy, one thing Diddy, so on and so forth. And I think that was something that he planned on doing, that he really strategically mapped out during those times. Like, hey, man, I need to switch this around. Because when you go and do a search on him, you can only find certain stories. Since me and you kind of know already a lot of the stories and a lot of this stuff has been openly talking to, talked about in the hip-hop community. So we kind of knew where to look. But I think if you just from a regular researcher that doesn't know anything about it, it would be difficult and a long process to figure out. Cause you're going to have to match up to each name. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, I'm sure there's an occultic angle there, but I do think just from a regular point of view, I think that's part of why he's doing it for sure. And I think it's rebirth, like constant rebirth. He's changing and he's shedding the cocoon and he's becoming the next phase, the next level of ascension. And that part is definitely the occult because he's constantly uh, reinventing himself. And you look at people like Madonna, who's notorious for doing that, you know, she's still reinventing herself, even though she looks like a straight ghoul now, but that is an MO with people in the celebrity arena is a constant reinvention. And I get that some of it is you want to have more public eyes on you when you do that because a change is going to cause you know publicity stirs so that's going to get people to look at you talk about you and from that base level absolutely but i do think that he has a lot of ties to the occult a lot of demonic angles that he's been involved in which we're gonna get into as we go throughout this but yeah i totally agree with you man there's 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 multiple angles with him constantly changing his name 
Yeah, and I, I agree with you. It's probably a lot to do with his rebirth because you could see that each level he comes up, you know, he's a hip-hop mogul, then he's uh, in movies, and then he's a alcohol mogul, and now he's just like this huge billionaire, The hip, you know what I mean? So every time it seems like he takes another step up that ladder. And where he started kind of like, you know, he started as a promoter, you, you know, most hip hop people do start as promoters, throwing shows. Um, then he got into with Uptown Records, started kind of messing with that. He was an A&R for a while. You know, he got fired. They said that, like, he was too much and kind of hanging around everybody. You know what I mean? But then he started Bad Boy, his own little thing. But an interesting tidbit, you know, that Jaguar, right, the neo hip hop soul singer, she had been on the runs for a while, like talking a lot of mess. And then, you know, people were saying she's on drugs. She's da da da. But I think she kind of breaks it down interestingly on how everything kind of fell together. Like all these people that started the company are pretty much gone. Uptown Records started with five people Andre Harrell, I'll be sure, Heavy D, and Puffy. And Kim was the longest working employee because she was there from the very beginning. She was Andre's personal assistant. Mm. Kim is dead. Heavy D is dead. Andre Harrell is dead. The only two left are Puffy and Al and Al almost died. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Heavy D was found dead, face down in the heart attack. Andre Harrell, heart attack. Kim died from pneumonia, but there's the first coroner's report that said that she died. It, it was ruled a homicide, and they found toxins in her body to prove that she had been poisoned. You know, they, they have poisons that create heart attack and pneumonia-like symptoms, and then right after that, Al had a meeting and I was going to meet up with him because we were in Vegas. And then the next thing you know, you want to know what they all had in common, though? The survivors and the, and, and the late of Uptown Records, they were all writing tell-all books. So they were all writing books and probably the worry of things coming out. Uh, there's a lot of rumors about uh, Puffy. Uh, like, you know, he's got a lot of sugar in the tank. <laughs> he's, got, he's real sweet, if you know what I mean. And the thing I found interesting, too, was about Kim Porter, his wife, um, which is on and off again wife. She even said comments that were kind of weird back in the days, too, when he started dating Jennifer Lopez. They talked a little bit about how she was saying this was just a sham marriage to get publicity. So I felt like she really did know some secrets. And that if people don't know, Kim Porter, before she was um, married to Puffy, she was dating Albie Shore and has a kid with him. And when she when she died, Albie Shore went to Instagram and he said, I had no clue, but I do know very clearly that Kim Kimberly didn't just check out all of a sudden over pneumonia. He insisted, that's some bullshit, really. This is where I get into trouble. We just celebrated our son Quincy's New Deal and Christmas special with Netflix. And she was in fantastic health as she was laughing, seeing me and Diddy mutual exchange at the theater. I'm going to leave it there. And he also went further and was saying that she was constantly calling him. It's like people were chasing her, like her life was on the line. And this is a theme that's going to be throughout this whole uh 
uh, piece that we're kind of putting together. A lot of like strange things, you know, uh, that people chasing people and knowing information and that information seemingly getting people killed. I do think that Diddy has a way of wiping people out that get in his way and or people that he works with that aren't falling in line with the way that he wants things to be ran. And we'll get into the bad boy curse a little bit later. And we'll talk about a lot of the artists that have worked for him and how that, you know, this is, like you said, a theme that keeps happening with anybody that's connected to Diddy. You know, old flames, male or female, by the way, uh, artists, celebrities, this is constantly happening. And I think, for sure, there's an occult angle where some of it's sacrificial. And I also think some of it is his protecting his image, or at least what he wants to protect from the media. Because he's kind of played this game of being this alpha straight male that's run one of the biggest record labels of all time. And I think that if it came out that he was bi or gay, that it would ruin what he thinks his image should be. However, I don't know how much it would run at this point in in Hollywood. If anything, I think it would help him. But I do think he likes having that in his bag where he can keep that hidden away because he feels like it gives him some sort of power over the situation. He's all about power. Everything to him is power. It's not, it's not about sex. It's not about money. None of those things matter. They're just a side product of the power that he is seeking. And that's what a lot of these people do. It's not even just, just him per se, most powerful people in those positions. Once you're past this, like getting money and, and having things established, it's like they get this other weird fetish thing that goes on. Cause they have to find a new form of power. And that's where it seems that it, it goes to. And that's that like sex rituals and sex magic stuff that I believe Crowley really put into the forefront of most entertainment now. And it's like really ingrained in entertainment. And to go back a little bit to Puffy's uh, promoter days, he like this could be a little bit of a cultic angle because when you're talking about the New York City College Harlem Festival, it was an AIDS fundraiser basketball game, like basketball game slash concert. It was the who's who was going to be there. He was throwing it. Uh, Big Daddy Kane, Run DMC, Jodeci, Boys to Men, you name it, they were there. And one of his bodyguards was on Vlad TV, Gene. His bodyguard for years. Like he's like from then, like just working with them, they were kind of like in the same hood, the same little gang, like that would throw uh, different events and things like that. They kind of looked out for each other, hustled and stuff like that. And he did a lot of security for them for their events back in the days. He was supposed to do this event. And supposed to be on the outside perimeter. Like, hey, I got 12 guys. We're going to lock down the outside perimeter. Make sure everything's good. Because you got to flow people in a proper way. Because, you know, kids and uh, celebrities and, you know, probably booze are involved and different things. And it's just a, a, a recipe for disaster. And that's kind of what it did turn into. Because as, like, the show, like, uh, before it even started, they say, as they say, Tyson and LL Cool J came up. 
And instead of having those Gene and his 12 guys, he decided to tell him, no, we don't need you on the outside. We got guys looking on the outside. We need you to with the artist. And that's where I'm going to leave it. I got a little clip about a one-minute clip. But Gene kind of describing, I just wanted to paint the scenario because he was supposed to be on the outside before all this really unfolded and, and went, to me, a little bit of cultist because after this, he kind of started getting his name out there, which was very interesting. Well, Slick said, don't worry about it, Gene. We just go there with the eight guys and we just take the money and we just come back to the game room and just have fun. I said, yeah, all right, cool. So we shows up and I I see that the, that the people was already crowded out there and it was crazy. So I finagled my way in there, me and uh, Slickman. I said, yo, I told Puff right then and there. I said, Puff, if they don't do a boxing one outside and get these kids off the door, somebody going to die tonight. He said, Gene, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You just handle the stars once they come inside. So I said, yeah, all right, then. So um, I, I did a walk around. So I walked around the, the, the top of the floor, went down the steps and went in the gym and then came across the gym. And I seen that you can go up the steps and be right there at the front door. So um, everybody was coming in. You seen Dougie Fresh, Red Alert. They was on the mic. Everybody started, people started coming in and everything. It was cool. And then when LL Cool J and Mike Tyson showed up, that shit must have went pandemonium. They must have broke through the first doors where the uh, FOIs was and came to the door where we was inside at. And it was a glass door that they were, they were crowded at in the glass door and people were steady pushing the people through the door. Whereas that they pushed the people so hard that the glass broke and people fell through the glass doors at the top of the stairs. And when people fell through the door, the top of the store, we grabbed this girl, you know, and she was pregnant. We later found out that was father MC's baby's mother. Instead of doing the security on the outside, what happened was when LO and Mike came, uh, everybody just flooded through the one doors and it, ensued a stampede kind of similar to like the Travis Scott I mean not as big a scale it was a much smaller scale compared to but it was a smaller building everybody stampeded nine people ended up dying 29 people being injured and it was in court forever this was in 1991 it finally got settled from the last person uh, suing Heavy D and Puffy for this event in 2000 the year 2000 and it's undisclosed what was really uh, awarded to the other person I mean they they said Puffy and Heavy D were liable, but and so was the uh, New York City College as well. But it never really specified. I, I try to dig it up a little bit and see what they actually paid. It doesn't ever say like what they paid. Like there was different agreements. I know like the one victims, uh, uh, the kid of one of the victims was like, "Hey, you know, he offered something," and she said no because she said it wasn't enough. And I and they were saying she wanted like three million. So who knows where they met in the middle, but. Look how long it took, and it did not do anything, any damage, right? I know any publicity is good publicity, but at that point, that to me is where you kind of get an occultic angle. Um, he was really nothing but a promoter. Then kind of getting into the A&R realms, and then all of a sudden, he gets fired from uh, his job as an A&R, and he starts Bad Boy. And from there, we got the Bad Boy curse. Yeah, I want to touch on that whole stampede thing, though, because it does get very occultic when you actually break it down. And you were talking about these lawsuits that were filed 
um, there was a judge, uh, Luis Benza, that was over the New York State Court of Claims that was actually overseeing the whole thing. And there was a 73-page decision that was issued seven years after, like you said, nine people died uh, in December 28, 1991. So she actually put, um, or he actually put 50% of the blame on those deaths to the venue's owner and then 50% towards the promoters, which Heavy D and, and P. Diddy. But it gets deeper on the occult ritual part of it um, because think about Travis Scott. You brought that whole situation up. Well, nine people were reported dead at the Travis Scott concert. So now that's nine and nine. So this seems to be some sort of ritual concert deaths that are going on here. And it all ties into Gematria too, man. Uh, they start digging into uh, the ritual occurred, like I said, on December 28th, 1991, 54 days after Puff Daddy's birthday or on his 55th day of his age, which Travis Scott concert happened on May 5th or 5-5. So now you've got the 5-5s. And if you're digging in, and I went a little Gematria here on it, but Satan equals 55. And Diddy was 22 years old at that time. Satanic equals 22. And the ritual sacrifice equals 257, which is the 55th prime. So you're literally talking about all the Gematria numbers that would tie into an actual cult ritual were right there. All of it was right there. So I do believe that it was a ritual. And you're right with what you said. He blew up after that. Like after those nine deaths, and nine, we know, 369, we know numbers of Tesla. We know how those numbers tie into the occult as well. So all of that stuff ties into his ascension. And you tied it right into the Travis Scott stuff. Nine deaths there. The same thing. Maybe a little bit different way, but still at a concert, nine deaths that happened. Well, and still stampede. after this, the ascension. It was still both a stampede. And still stampede, yeah. They yeah. both like, got uh, trampled on. That's how people died of just like... Not good security, which Travis was even crazier because it was like, man, you should know by now, like, you got to have security. I mean, you got to have security on the inside and the outside to control the traffic and the flow of people. And that's why I played Gene, because Gene was supposed to be playing that part of, you know, flowing the people in. And it seemed like it was intentional because he told him at the day of the event, it's not like he told him like a month before, like the day of the event, he's like, yeah, or the day before, whichever one or the other, it was the day before the day of the event. And he's like, ah, I don't need your guys anymore. They could just chill at home, man. We just need a couple of them so we can help with the celebrities. So it's almost like they knew what was coming. In my opinion, that's how I kind of, I took it as like, they knew what was coming. It was for a reason. And then like two, three years later, I think it was like, 1994 when they really got their success a bad boy and that didn't hurt him like you would think that i'd be like hey man this guy's still battling in court and he's losing money but it didn't even affect him it didn't even really get pushed um heavy that was like the, a lot of stuff you saw was like on mtvnews.com you know in 2000s and it's like it was just forgotten. No, absolutely, man. Totally agree with that. And you're right about how this goes into the bad boy curse. How We've got these names that work for Diddy or Puff Daddy at the time who he signs on and he pushes 
but they all have really big falls from grace, either by death or they just disappear. And it's like, we know from just a fiscal angle that Diddy siphoned a lot of money off of these artists, right? He, dude, I was, I was watching this documentary the other day about it. And it was just talking about how he would literally charge them for him being in the videos and his cars being in the videos after he would demand that he and the cars or women or whatever that he quote unquote owned would be in the videos, then they would get hit with an invoice and they wouldn't even know it till the money was already taken out because he's paying them. So he'll hit them with the invoice while he's paying them. And they're like, wait a minute, my check's looking light. Well, that's why, because he would charge them for so much stuff that they wouldn't get what they were owed. And Biggie, and we're not going to get too hard on Biggie today just to let everybody know because we're going to do a piece on Biggie in the future. But Biggie and he butted heads over this. And Gene talks about this. I saw an interview with Gene talking about this too where Biggie and Diddy butted heads behind the scenes so they found a way to both siphon money off each other. So what Biggie was doing was he was putting all of his um all the money and bank accounts were going in like his family members names. So Diddy couldn't charge him. So he was flipping it to where he was actually siphoning money off Diddy. And they butted heads over that a lot at first, because when you're an artist, a lot of times you don't have money. He didn't have a lot of money. He was selling his publishing to Diddy. He was selling all his publishing, which if anybody knows in the music, publishing is where you make your money. You know, like that's the chunk of everything you own. And he was selling to Diddy. And, you know, there's rumors that he was like Gene says, like he was in the process of buying it back. I think we should start, though, with the first hit of Bad Boy was Craig Mack, like totally different than every single thing you hear after that. Um, Craig Mack was more hip hop. Like his his big single was Flavor in Your Ear. It was more that like DOS effects, like wild, like crazy Buster Rhymes saying like wild stuff kind of music. Well, he kind of had a fun. You would think, hey man, this guy's successful. We're gonna put our money behind that. But he had already had Biggie at the time, so they were changing directions. And one of my beliefs of that was we've talked about that secret meeting that they had behind closed doors with the record executives. I'm not saying Diddy was there, but for sure he's connected to somebody that was because you push Craig Mack out of the way for this new guy Biggie, who's more gangster, who's more talking about selling drugs and killing people, so on and so forth. You trade him. And then I found this interesting as uh, I think it was his last album he recorded with um, Bad Boy. It was uh, Craig Mack's last album. And the song is called When God Comes. And the lyrics go, I watch the earth cheese line get longer. I watch allegiance to satan's army gets getting stronger i watch drugs and guns take control i even watch how the devil take the black woman's soul they ain't got no respect no more when you're ass on the camera you ain't nothing but a whore ladies you need to help out your man instead of fronting at the club the black fam so well, we always talk about he was talking about the nuclear family and a lot of this satanism stuff and he was on his way out. And he knew, obviously, with this song and everything, he already knew the writing was on the wall. They got a whole new thing going because then you had Puffy and Big. And when you go from Ready to Die 
to life after death. When you go from ready to die to Mace in Harlem World, they start. That's when they kind of changed it, and they started making like the gangster glamorous slash like you know the mainstream because they went from ready to die, which is very undergroundish, gutter, grimy type of uh, maybe feel like you know more commercial play. And I just bring that up real quick because not only do they have this curse and all this other stuff, but they also steal material. And to speak of Big, they stole one of his big songs, Juicy. Like, everybody knows the sample and Juicy of that. Well, there was this guy in Mississippi uh, named Big Daddy. And I'm going to just play a little brief cut of this because you could tell, like, not only did they take the, the idea for the beat, they took the idea for the flow and even the sound. That's exactly it. You know what I mean? Like, And there's also other stories of like, you know, Biggie Smalls. A lot of people remember in that Tupac song, he talks about like Biggie Smalls. Well, that's this white rapper. There's a white rapper named Biggie Smalls. And he's talking about him. Like, and so the name, stealing the names, it's, it's, Puffy is not an originator. You know what I mean? He's a thief. He just takes things and rebrands them and relabels them. No, absolutely, man. And we know that because he's Jack Beats for ever man you know a lot of motown stuff that he took and i'm not saying that he didn't have you know the rights with sampling and stuff like that but that's basically what he built his empire on was a lot of samples and you were just talking about flavor in your ear and that was craig max like 1994 single man blew up but you were talking about ready to die and what a lot of people don't know about ready to die was it had been out for six months it wasn't doing any kind of numbers nothing nobody knew who biggie was craig mack was the dude as far as what people knew on the scene in new york craig mack was like the next big thing and he was under bad boy but i agree with you man this is around that time when that meeting took place and i think that they were like look we need to push gangster rap they went to diddy i'm sure diddy's super involved behind the scenes with a lot especially when we're talking about the occult man he's all about it right so they need to find a way to put biggie on to get biggie in the forefront because hey ready to die ain't doing nothing nobody's feeling it what they did was though they put out a remix of flavin year where he came on first biggie actually came on first to have busta rhymes rampage and ll cool j on it too but he was the first verse and that literally blew Biggie up. That blew Biggie up to the point that Ready to Die started doing big-time numbers. But that was the game, right? That's what Diddy wanted to do because he wanted to push Craig Mack out because Craig Mack just wasn't fitting the mold. And, you know, they used to make fun of him, too, about, like, Craig Mack's physical appearance. Like, he did, he was ugly. And it just he just wasn't fitting the mold because he wasn't like, he wasn't like Biggie, like, ugly dude. But it's like this pimp, this gangster who's got all this swag, right? You got a dude that's really talking about a lot of things that are trying to help the community out. And did he switching gears? Because when he tried to push Funk the World, which was Mac's first album, he wanted it to be radio-friendly rap or radio friendly in general because when i say radio friendly rap we're not talking about they didn't want gangster stuff to, on the radio they do but they wanted it to have 
this mainstream appeal and Matt just wasn't feeling it. And you were just talking about when God comes. Well, that's when he slid that in on that album because there were several tracks that he slid on that album that weren't radio friendly. And that, and I agree with you, Sean. Like that was kind of he knew he was on the way out. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to say what I want to say on this. I'm not going to listen to Diddy. I'm not going to fall for this trap. And he basically left, man, uh, left the label in 1997. You know, he tried to come back a few times. I, I remember, man, with some of the tracks that he tried to come back with and nobody was really feeling it. And then he just disappeared, man. And then resurfaces in 2012. What's he doing? He's with the Overcomer Ministry in South Carolina, which if you know anything about the Overcomer Ministry, it's ran, it was run by Brother R.G. Stair, and it was like a cult. And I've seen the video where like R.G. Stair like up there like holding Craig Mack, and he's like, but Brother Craig, Craig Mack, because he's like straight hillbilly, this dude is. But Brother Craig Mack, well, if you start digging into the over, Overcomer Ministry, R.G. Stair was a big pedo. A big time pedo. Dude, I, I encourage anybody right now, when you get off this podcast, go to YouTube, type in Brother RG Stare, and there are videos. You'll see a clip of him with Craig Mack, but you're going to see videos where he's grabbing like 14 year old girls, like breast in church at the front. He's talking about one girl who went over and gave this other like old man a back rub while he was in bed. And then he asked this girl to give him a back rub there in church. And you're like, what is going on here, man? And the dude definitely got nailed up for being a pedophile. He gets locked up. Craig Mack still kind of disappears, but when Craig Mack passed away at 47 due to heart failure, he was still living right by the Overcomer Ministry, man. So he was super deep into this church atmosphere. So he dips with this whole Diddy thing, tries to make a few comebacks, disappears, and he's in like some cult, in this church cult, which is like one of the craziest ones of all, too. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty weird. And he's like was heavy in it when he came back and said he was pretty heavy in it, a, a focal feature. And yeah, he was pushed out because the, the regime was completely changing. The whole speck of hip hop was changing and he was at the end of it because when flavor and year came out in 94, it was already on the way out. That whole fun, uh, just wild lyrics, saying crazy stuff or helping the community stuff was kind of on the way out. Tupac was already on the rise. Obviously, NWA was out and probably already broke up. And then you got Dre and them coming on the West Coast. So they're trying to make this move. And it's kind of like this switch. A gangster mixed with this, like you said, mainstream radio friendly. Like It's like sneak it in on them. To get them all like, oh, man, we're just dancing. This is some good shit. And then when you hear the albums, like, so then you get who does he sign? You know, you got Junior Mafia. You got Biggie. And they sign Murder Mace. I mean, his name is Murder Mace. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you saw Mace, though, you didn't think of a murderer. I mean, I'm, no offense, Mace, bro. Like, you just look like a chipmunk. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just wasn't something you thought, especially how they dressed him, right? In the music videos, Harlem World. And he was pretty much the hottest rapper for a minute, you know, especially after Biggie died. He was like the guy, the main guy that was holding up bad boy at the time. Cause you already had Biggie gone. You know, you, you're still living off that legacy, but this was like, okay, we got a new guy that's about to take over the throne. 
And out of nowhere, after his, the success, a wildly successful first album, like one of the hardest things to do, you know what I mean? You put out an album and they're like, dang, this is wildly successful. Out of nowhere, he just goes, I think it was 1999, nine-ish or somewhere around there. And he says, I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm retiring from rap. And I think he was like 19, 20 years old or something. He was in his early, early, super young. And he's like, I retired from rap and I'm becoming a minister. That was a shock. Everybody was like, whoa, man, you got... You know, Biggie just died. This other guy that is now blowing up, this is kind of where that whole beginning of this curse is where people are talking about. And then you start noticing kind of, you know, with that uh, New York City College basketball fiasco, you're like, man, there is some kind of dark cloud that is following Diddy wherever he goes. Yeah, man. And the May stuff gets really crazy, man, because you were talking about from 96 to 99, he was stupid hot, man. Right after Biggie, Mace was just on fire. And he fit exactly what Diddy was looking to do, man. The flashy suits, the flashy cars, man. Throwing the money around. He represented all that, man. And he also represented something else during that time, too, man. And there's a song called I Need to Be featuring Monifa, man. And I remember this song, it was yesterday, man. And I don't think at the time it really registered to me like what the song was really about. And I think I just kind of glazed over it, probably in my like fluoride filled mind at the time. But that whole song is about being a pedophile. The entire song is about being a pedophile. It literally starts out with this little skit, man. And I could almost quote it verbatim, <laughs> but it's like, his homeboy comes by and say, yo, you remember that girl that was 19? And he's like, yeah, I remember that shorty. She was not 19. Word, she is 19. He's like, I followed her to school, man. I followed her to school. That's how it starts out with this whole thing about him getting with this girl and finding out she's young. But you would think that maybe the song itself would shift into like, man, I got to like be careful, right? It doesn't though, man. Like some of the stuff is like, He's talking to her and he's like, but the more I caress, the more I feel like a molester. I can't even talk sex. And then she say I'm perverted. And then she say, Mace, why I can't wait? What? I ain't worth it. So he's trying to get this young girl to do sexual favors for him. This entire song. And he even says, because her moms ain't trying to hear that you ain't never know her age. And Naughty is the only way that bad boy plays. So clearly bad boy's playing. A different kind of way than you think. But the whole song's about being a pedo. But the way he slides on it, man, and you listen to it, you don't even, like, catch it until later. And I swear, man, when I was uh, doing research for this episode, that song just popped in my head. And I could just remember that skit. And I was like, oh, my God. That was like, it really hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, man, that was one of the most, like, obvious pedo songs Back in the 90s, man, and it's just mind-blowing. But back to what you said, like, he literally leaves. He's 19 years old. Two like, 1999 bounces and becomes a minister at Sane Ministries, which st stood for Saving a Nation in Danger. And he called himself Minister Mace after he was called himself Murder Mace. And this is like, and again, man, you said it perfectly. He literally dropped one of the hottest albums Ever. Like, if he hadn't quit rapping and he would have kept going, he probably would have had, like, three or four just classics, man. Because Harlem World was a classic. Like, that was, it's it's known now, man. Even even guys that came after him are like, man, that album, like, 
what made me want to be a rapper, right? But but he basically said in an interview, he was talking about Tupac heard the call and he didn't heed the warning. Biggie heard it. He didn't heed it. I'm no fool. He basically said, this is why I had to leave because I knew there was stuff going on behind the scenes. Dude, even late, some of the label execs under Bad Boy were even talking about how Puffy doesn't even let people out of contracts like that. And the fact that Mace was able to get out of the contract after one album, they were like, he had to know, had to have some dirt on Puffy that he was able to use as like his get out of this deal bargaining chip. Like he literally was like, yo, you know that thing? That thing, I'm about to cash it in because, man, I'm out of here because I see what's been going on in the game. And he probably saw something very recent to that time that was like, nah, man, like, I'm good. I'm out of here. I need to just, like, go be with the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what I kind of felt with that whole situation because he was, like, basically, uh, not style-wise, but he was the Drake in the late 90s. He, that's exactly who Mace was. And you would think at that age... But when you talk about that song and then probably the things he's seen and then knowing what happened with Big, I'm sure everybody in that circle knew a lot more. And you probably talked to Big and they talked about the publishing. You know what I mean? They talked about these fucked up contracts that people were stuck in. And like you said, overcharging people for things that are like, dude, you're in my fucking video. What the hell? Like, I'm going to have to pay you for being in my video to top that off with also some of this like weird other stuff that we'll get into a little bit more that he was into that I think that that's what, like you said, he ultimately was able to use that as a weapon. And then they've even gone back and forth, like uh, recently on Breakfast Club. Um, you know, Mace is all over the internet. He's even made a couple of diss songs on um, Puffy. Like, they're all right. I mean, they're, they kind of suck because, you know, he obviously hasn't kept up with his skills. He probably just tried to get, but he's been exposing him and telling him, hey, you know, you still owe me. And then Puffy went back and fired back on Breakfast Club saying, no, you owe me $3 million. I have the receipts. And he's like going back and forth. It just, to me, really makes it valid the case that he was screwing over all his artists. You don't just keep hearing these same stories over and over. If it was one person and he didn't explain it very well and the way he explained it on Breakfast Club sounded exactly like what you said. I get it. He's like, yeah, he owes me $3 million because he left his deal and I paid for this studio time. I paid for this. But he's still getting all that. We don't know how much publishing or it might not even have been that he had dirt on him. He might have said, you know what? I'll give you all my publishing. You know what I mean? Hey, let me out. You know what I mean? Who knows? Like, it, at that time, he, he saw something. Like you said, if he saw everybody else had the warning signs and he had to get out. And I think that was smart of him because he kind of bounced out. And even like, because he was close with Cameron. Him and Cameron went to school together. They actually played basketball together. And he even said, like, I think that turned Mace weird. Because after that, they kind of were like, they're still cool. But like, you could tell that he's just kind of, and he always pushes on Cameron. Like, man, because Cameron went for this shot. They were like a state championship and he went for, he had the last shot and he missed it and May still gets all mad like, man, he should have passed it. I was open because I think he believes they would have went to the NBA, which he talks about and then he would never had to have dealt with Puffy. And I think that's something that really like, that's why it's so important to him, why he still, that's what it reminds me of like when you psychologically break it down, something that's really bothering you so much when you were already successful. Now, I understand if you were like, man, you know, I work at a factory, man. We could have been in the NBA. But no, you had very, like, success beyond a lot of people's dreams. You know what I mean? And you didn't want to because he wanted to make that shot because he was like, I don't know, maybe he got clapped, man. Maybe he got his cheeks loosened. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, you know, to 
bring it into the the church scope, right? The religious scope. I don't know if necessarily Mace really went to go meet with the Lord, man, because he came back. He did the Welcome Back album when he came back. Then he was associating with 50 Cent and G Unit. He started doing some songs that wouldn't necessarily be what you would consider, you know, religious songs. He kind of started calling himself Murder Mace there for a little bit again. Again, he's been untouched by Diddy this whole time. I wouldn't even consider him part of the curse. Maybe the curse him leaving, but I think Mace has lived pretty good. And he's made a lot of money off the religious route, man, a ton. He's in a new church now. He just, matter of fact, in Harlem, they gave him January 24th as Mace Day now. And he's now preaching at Gathering Oasis Church, which was a part of that. So I think he's definitely still a part of the industry. I mean, dude, Snoop Dogg's even been talking about signing him to Death Row Records here as of recent. Because Snoop owns Death Row Records now. So he's even talking about putting Mace back out. So I don't think Mace has ever left the industry. I think he wanted to get away from Diddy. But I think he's also used the church, which you're going to find throughout this entire podcast, how the church has been used to either cover up nasty things, to be a facilitator for some of these awful things that have been going on behind the scenes. And I don't know if necessarily Mace is some great dude. I never thought that. Even when he went and started preaching at the first church, I was like, I don't know. And then he came back and he was murder Mace again. Like, man, does it feel right? And then he's kind of doing the same thing again. Like, he's been doing it his whole career. I just think, to your point, he's butting heads with Diddy. And I think he found a bargaining chip to get out of it alive. And he was able to get out of it alive. And I think he made alliances, right? Like that, like you said, he went with 50. And 50 seems to be a character that's allowed to push people's buttons and say pretty much whatever he wants. So he must have some kind of backup or protection, or he has a position in this occultic uh, hip-hop world that he's allowed to get free reign. So it's almost like he was protecting him. You know what I mean? Protecting Mace. Because he aligned with people that Puffy wouldn't necessarily cross. And during that time, too, before Mace retired, there was a hot rapper in 1998, the hottest rapper. Everybody wanted to sign him, Shine, who kind of sounded like Biggie. He had the who. Like, you know, and a lot of people, you know, they were kind of missing that. And it sparked a lot of interest. So many people wanted. Bad Boy was like, we got him. They offered the rapper a million dollars. Diddy's like, we got him. Locked in, right? D- doing pretty good. At like Three cars and two homes. Yes, three cars and two homes. Plus millions of dollars. So he offered him the most anybody was at trying that to time, offer him, and, Sean. And at that right? time, in 1998, like that's something you would offer like a mace after he just had that huge album you'd be like all right this i gotta keep this guy but he had this new guy that he was hot but at th- those are still a risk you know you don't know how the album's gonna go the streets might like him album might be a flop and he he had some pretty decent success at that time as well even after biggie bad boy had continuous success they were constantly you would see him on bt mtv uh, all the award shows they were everywhere like they had a multitude of these different, you know, rappers that would like, it's almost like this cycle. And I think that's where the beginning of the bad boy curse, you know, you could say with Biggie, of course, but I think Shine was really the epitome of this curse because it was like, oh, not again. Because one interesting thing that happened with Shine is that his, uh, uh, shortly after he signed with bad boy, 
Shine was involved in a tragic car accident that killed one of his childhood friends. And according to the story, Shine's two of his closest friends and cousins were driving home to Brooklyn after a party at a nightclub in Manhattan. They were all drunk. Three, uh, Their Mercedes-Benz crashed, fatally injuring one of the teenagers. Shine basically came out the accident with scratches. But the word on the street was, yo, Shine is messed up. Heard how he was acting at his boy's funeral. He was just laughing and talking. There was this terrible story on the streets how he just seemed to be indifferent about the whole situation. This was a family friend speaking about what happened after this. And everybody was saying that his demeanor, he was laughing at the funeral. He didn't seem to be phased or have any empathy whatsoever. When your childhood friend that you grew up with, that you should be pretty devastated. Now, I get it too. Some can be confused. I know everybody grieves differently. I've seen some strange things. But from the people that were talking about him, that knew him well... It seemed like he had a 180. It's not like he was always like that, right? Someone that would be like that, you would consider them to always be like that. And it seemed like he changed. So I wonder at that time what he did to get into that position. And was this some kind of occultic ritual to get him where he wanted to be? And that was the sacrifice of the friend because they, you know, that's the... Word on the streets is that's how you get it. You know, you have to have someone close to you, and maybe that is the person they picked. And it seems so because it's like, hey, the piper comes back eventually to knock on that door and be like, hey, it's time to pay up. And Shine sure did pay up. Yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment, man. That's where I was going to go with it too, the occult angle, because, you know, he's laughing it up. He's joking at the funeral. Don't get me wrong. I do agree with you that people grieve in their own way, but it just kind of seemed like that he kind of knew or some sort of entity took over him and caused this to happen. Cause he didn't come out with any scratches at all. Everybody else got hurt or dead except for him. So something protected him in that instance, but as it keeps going, the story keeps going with Shine. And if people know anything about the big Diddy shooting at the nightclub when there was a massive shooting incident, this Manhattan club, three people were injured. Everybody that reported it said Diddy had pulled out the gun and had done it. Well, when it all came down, Shine was the one that got hit with it. Matter of fact, Jennifer Lopez was there when it happened too. So Shine gets hit with all of it. He does the jail time while he's in there. And this is going to tie with this thread that's going to keep moving through here, guys. He begins studying Judaism with rabbis and he legally changes his name to Moses Michael Levy Barrow. So he changes his name to a Jewish name. And in 2009, he gets released. He goes back to Belize because that's where he's from, is Belize. And he formally converts to Orthodox Judaism in Jerusalem in 2010. And he stays away from the music industry the rest of his life, for the most part. And in 2020, he's actually elected to the Belize House of Representatives. So he's actually like a politician now, which is even crazier. So it kind of seems it's almost like that Mace thing, man, where it's they, they go this religious route but it doesn't really stop them from finding some sort of success in another area but again it's also a part of it to me is like man 
whatever's going on behind the scenes with Diddy, like definitely scared them enough to where it's like, we got to do whatever we can to protect ourselves. If we have to use religion or in Mace's case, religion and somebody like 50 cent to protect us, because what they're trying to protect themselves from is something spiritual, Sean. It's not just the physical with Diddy. There's something dark that that is over that man. And sometimes even when I see him, man, I feel like I'm just looking at an entity looking back. He just doesn't even look real sometimes. Yeah, I could agree with that. And I like the way you went with uh, an entity actually going over Sean. I didn't, I didn't really think about that. But once you say that, I'm like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because his family and friends noticed a very big difference in his demeanor and the way he acts. So he never seemed to act that way. And that would, you know, in possessions, people become obviously the entity that is with them. They have a little bit of themselves as well. But the other interesting part about that story is even Gene, the bodyguard and shine also claimed that Puffy snitched on shine that he threw him under the bus. And I kind of think that what happened was I, in my opinion, what's happening is like these characters like Puffy, they do have, they're not, invincible right they are also cat they could be tossed aside they could easily be discarded because anybody could do that job right you know so you got to constantly stay on your toes and i think that when you got shine and people like mace not only do they have dirt on them i think they're strategically mapping it out and then puppy's kind of like you know what i'm gonna leave you alone because this is gonna cause more problem for me and i think that's how that he kind of sets them up so they kind of because every time there's this controversy. It kind of goes away because something's thrown at it. We don't know what's happening behind closed doors. You know, the whole Mace Puffy thing, that was kind of hot for a minute and just poof, it vanished, right? And everybody has YouTube and TikTok and all these social medias. Mace could, he is con- every now and then saying some stuff, but people like Shine, boom, stop talking about that. So I think it's not just necessarily the scared of like Puffy because if he was scared of that, I don't think he would have said, hey, Puff snitched on me, this and that. I think that they're like, hey, man, we know that you could be taken down. You're just like a low-level crime boss, bro, and there's somebody above you, and I know that now. You know what I mean? And I know who that is, <laughs> and they could. And I think that's these strange alliances that happens because – you're right, these curses, like, it's not that everybody died, not everybody that went to jail, but there's these strange anomalies. Like, I think, like, to fast forward a little bit, like you were kind of talking about the other day, and not only was he associated, all these people that he's associated with, either like a strange death, um, you know, some kind of seeming like a sacrifice, uh, like with his wife, it seems like, she, you know, Kim Porter maybe a sacrifice, Biggie maybe a sacrifice, uh, the Harlem basketball at New York City College sacrifice. You have these artists leaving and a lot of them go into this, like, like you said, they're like religious, but they're not really in the religion. It's almost like a mask of somehow, we don't know exactly what they're playing at that game. But then all of these people either have that part or they're occultic. And one of the artists that you were talking about, and it's more recent, is MGK. And MGK is a known occultist, at least how he acts. You know, we don't know what occult he's part of. Like, we don't know who he's actually connected with. But the drinking of the blood with Fox and the weirdo and the the, the just jumping around with this, like, oh, now I'm a, a rock star that's going sell, so, selling out with huge bands and he gets to open up for them to like going up against Eminem. And now he's like talking shit on Jack. Har- uh, I call him Jack Sparrow. You know what I mean? Actually, Hey, shots out that white man can't jump. Wasn't that bad, man. I thought it was all right, man. Shots out to Jack, man. I'm going to learn his name, man. Jack Harlow. <laughs> I'm going to learn his name. Cause I, I, I was actually entertained by him, whether a Colts or not, it was still pretty good. <laughs> 
Yeah, you did bring up uh, MGK, which I'm glad you did, because I want to say this out of all of the artists from before, he was the one that broke the curse. He still signed a bad boy and he's super successful. He, he's got a list of accolades. And just real quick for people, there was another rapper called Loon that was this short period of time. He was kind of supposed to be the next Mace. And he got signed to Bad Boy, dropped out an album. He instantly leaves off the scene too, literally becomes or gets converted to Islam and changes his name to Amir Muhadith and relocates to Egypt. So this is, again, somebody else that's connected to Diddy who's there for a short time and bounces out and literally changes his name, converts to a different religion, and just kind of goes off the map. But he was kind of one of the last ones that would be part of that curse. But to slide into the MGK stuff, man, it's unbelievable. Like, Colson Baker, he's just been on fire with whatever he does, man. Because, you know, he came out with those mixtapes and he was dropping all those music videos on YouTube. I remember when that stuff was going down and then he gets signed to bad boy. And I'll be honest with you, Sean, I remember when he got signed to bad boy and I remember telling my whole boy at the time, uh, Dennis, I was like, listen, man, like he ain't going to last man. Like he's going to bad boy. He's about to get eaten alive. And this is Diddy's like first white rapper too. Like, so on that scale. So it's like, I didn't think it was going to work. He drops Wild Boys, Waka Flocka, and it blows up. But then he's dropping another album, General Admission. Then he's dropping Bloom, and they're both commercial successes. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And it's like, really, what's going on here? Then he comes out with Hotel Diablo, which was like a rap rock album. So then it was like, okay, he's actually shifting into different genres. Then he, you know, during the middle of that time right there, he drops that Eminem disc, which gets him a lot of heat. Also, on the Eminem disc track back to MGK, and this is kind of how you know that artists know things about other artists behind the scenes that we're not privy to. He has a bar in there where he says, say in Haley in vain, because he's talking about how MGK is talking about his daughter. Saying alien vein, alien brain, you Satanist. So he actually calls him out for being a Satanist on the song. And generally speaking, when it comes to Eminem, when he's doing some sort of diss track, man, he's done some sort of research on you. He's had somebody do some research on you. He's going to come with some stuff that he knows about you that not necessarily the general public knows. So he literally came out with that. But then after that, and the joke was that 
Yeah, Eminem hit him so hard he had to switch genres. He goes straight pop punk. He does an album called Tickets to My Downfall, which literally comes out as the number one rock album on the Billboard 200. And then he follows up with another one called Mainstream Sellout, if that ain't telling you right there. Blows up again. He's been in a ton of movies. And I saw him in an interview recently where he's talking about Bad Boy, and they were like, eh, you know, it's, it's not even like I'm with Bad Boy, even though I am. He's like, Diddy lets me do my own thing. And he talks about that. Diddy comes out on Instagram telling him, hey, when I first signed Machine Gun Kelly, I knew he was going to be a star. I didn't know how exactly we'd get there, but I knew it would happen. So he had some sort of predisposition on what MGK was going to be. And I think personally that MGK got super deep into the occult. He was all about whatever Diddy was offering on that level. And I think that MGK is kind of untouchable. I think MGK moved into a different sphere of I'm not part of this curse. I'm part of what makes the curses now. You know, where you were just talking about uh, his wife, how she was talking about all the bloodletting how they drink each other's blood, which she says she's a, a, a Pentecostal still, by the way, and goes to church, man. Shout out to Juan that Megan Fox is, is a Pentecostal just like you, buddy. Like, Well, he used yeah, to be Pentecostal. Uh, <laughs> Not a lot of people know that, though. <laughs> yeah, but she even says, like, he's all about cutting his chest and letting her drink the blood out of his chest and all this crazy stuff. She's into tarot, metaphysical practices, full moon rituals, astrology. She breaks it down in this whole interview, and it's like MGK is a huge part of it. They're all part of it. And MGK even talks about a story about how he gets into it with Diddy. They actually have an argument. He texts Diddy that night drunk and tells Diddy, like, F you, man. Like, you had me come to this party, then drag me to this other party. And so Diddy hits him next morning. He's like, hey, come out of the house. And he's like, Diddy shows up at the front door in his robe. And Diddy's like, man, I'm human too, man. I mess up. I was drunk. I don't even know what's going on. And he said they laughed about it. And Diddy didn't even penalize him for it. So it's like MGK can pop off where these other artists are just getting offed. Like MGK's in a different sphere. And that makes you think, why is MGK in a different sphere? Because he's playing in a different sphere. He was willing to play ball all the way. And I think that's really was what the difference was between him and the other artists before him. Well, he was he was already connected. He had some kind of connection previously. Yeah. Before the bad boy deal, like Biggie didn't, uh, Craig Mack or, you know, Loon, Mace, down the line, they didn't really know about, like, I think a lot of the occultic angles. I know they knew about the weirdness of Diddy. And when you bring up the Eminem diss, uh, you know, he, he took a shot at Diddy in the, and that too. He says, kill shot, I would not fail. I'm the doc still. But this idiot's boss pops pills and tell him he's got skills. But Kells, the day you put out a hits, the day daddy, uh, Diddy admits that he put out the hit on, that got pot killed, right? And at the end, he goes, just kidding, Diddy, right? That was strange, but that's why I think it's kind of like I don't really fall into the whole Eminem is a clone sometimes. I I know a lot of people, like, because he has gone out, like, and I'm thinking, like, okay, why is this clone? What is it, like a, a defective clone and it's going against? I think that he's just sometimes knows more, and a lot of people fall back. I think they just fall back, and if you notice Eminem, he stays secluded, and he's not going around these industry parties, I think because he went to them, and he kind of seen some shit, and I think that's what scares a lot of people. They're like, I don't even want to get involved, because once you're involved, you're involved. You know what I mean? You're not getting uninvolved, and I think that is something that really 
is crazy. And before, like, I want to get to this next segment. And to introduce this next segment, I want to say, what happened to Fonsworth? <laughs> remember, remember his right? uh, little butler slash dancer slash boy toy that was in every video from like I think well, I want to say like after I was after Biggie died because there's even- what was that reality show he got pulled off of though wasn't it like how to how to be a G or yes I think uh, like gentleman G or yeah, something yeah because he was like trying that. to suit and boot people like to get a certain and mm-hmm. that's when Riff Raff got discovered too because yep. he was on the same show as Fonsworth so yeah I don't know man Fonsworth disappeared too that's a good one man that's a good one for anybody out there listening go dig that up because I haven't dug Me that either. up either I just and thought of it right now could be something <laughs> interesting there about too it. I was like for all the stuff I can barely thought of Fonsworth right now because we were talking about Mason stuff but let's get into the gory details. Puff got one of the hottest DJs off her because she wanted to put up a picture of him getting his pants pulled down. For hip hop being closeted and having a plethora of kids to prove manhood that, you know, and, and denial of something that shouldn't you shouldn't have to deny, which is your sexuality. With a camera, say, yo, Puff, yo, you gotta let me film this. The whole thing, we need to document this, Playboy. Puff is there, and it's all about him. And I'll never get, he got mad at me. So, the open rumor everybody in hip-hop has known for like probably almost two decades now <laughs> keep your cheeks loose baby yeah. keep them loose, keep them loose. we're keeping cheek, cheeks loose around here today <laughs> baby they ain't tight no no they ain't tight with diddy no not at all man with diddy they're going to be very very loose and that is what a lot of people talk about that he's bisexual that he likes the company of men there's rumors that he may have clapped the cheeks of biggie he may have clapped the cheeks of jaw rule you know these are like artists that he didn't either worked with but some of them he didn't even work with you know but you don't know what happens behind the scenes like he could have clapped rules cheeks to get you know that could be initiation and and getting him into getting that success and one of the people like to start going down the line of that, that like Fonsworth. That's why I thought of Fonsworth because I've always thought of him. That's his little boy toy. And then he kind of just vanished. And then we started hearing all these other stories. Then the stories get worse and worse. And I thought we should go into the real b- bad stuff because everybody talks about how, how he's gay, right? And if he's gay, you can be gay as you want, man. You're a grown ass man. You you, you want to talk to another con- consenting adult? Fine. But that's the problem is it's not consenting adults. It's children, little boys. Well, let me stop you real quick before we get into this piece right here. It's not necessarily consenting even with the adults because he was using his power to tell these grown men that you don't get this unless you suck my dick, unless you let me clap those cheeks. That's the problem. And that's that Me Too element that when that Me Too thing came out and all these women were coming out saying that, hey, uh, Harvey Weinstein was doing this to us. He was making us do this so we could be in these movies. The same thing's happening in the music industry, especially hip hop and especially with Diddy. He was forcing men to do things because if they didn't, he, he could blackball them. Yeah, easily literally. take them out. So, so yeah. So it, it, to me, that is a form of that's a form of rape. That's a form of manipulation. That's illegal. So even to that point, he's doing illegal stuff because not all these guys were consenting. They did it. 
but it wasn't because they wanted to or do under it. the influence and, or like they were also like pretty much drugged. It's almost similar as being date raped. I mean, there's no real difference. A lot of these guys right. are handed things. You hear all kinds of stories, not even just with Diddy, any of these weird parties. They just hand you random drinks. You don't know who made the drink. And then people drink that one drink. And you're talking about people like that drink. Not heavily, but, like, drink consistently. Like, if I were to drink, like, I don't drink every day, but I can drink pretty decently. Like, I can have some drinks and be good. If I had one and I'm on the floor and I don't remember anything, something happened, right? I'm going to be like, where did I get that drink from? <laughs> and that's a story you hear quite often in the industry. Well, yeah. And, you know, there was that whole story about the lawyer that he was working with had left the room and... He was talking to this other guy that he was working into the industry. She came back in and dude's on his knees. Christopher Williams from New Jack City on his knees trying to get a demo deal. And this is Jaguar Wright. And she's the one talking about it. And so the lawyer that she's talking about. Sees him the next day, and he's, like, super hyped about it. He's like, hey, you're not going to tell anybody, are you? And she's like, nah, I'm not going to say anything. And she's like, I just, you know, was kind of shocked that you wouldn't lock the door. And he's like, I'll do whatever the fuck I want to in my building. He's like, it's power, see? If I can make a man suck my dick, I can make people do anything for money. And that goes back to the power piece, Sean. Goes back to what his real MO is. He gets off on it. He don't care if you're a woman, if you're a man. I completely believe he's bisexual. I don't think that he's not attracted to women. I think he totally is. I think all of it's power to him, though. I think women to him's power, men to him's power. It goes to that Baphomet imagery where we swing whatever way. It's the Crowley-ism. It's, it's, we're whatever because I'm so powerful. I'm above even the constraints of what gender is. I play in a different field than you. It's not even necessarily pleasure. It's power at that point. Totally agree. I actually got a line and coming up in a little uh, verse I'm doing where I'm saying like Aleister Crowley rituals turn into 360 deals with no residuals. It's like this whole, right. they don't only rape you physically, they also financially take all like the all the assets that you thought you were going to get. You're like this million dollar record deal. And that's known in the industry already that they rip people off you know you could look at the tlc story plenty down the line but this one with bad boy i feel like everything that happens with puffy is that he's some kind of gate occultic music gatekeeper i really just doing all this research i'm like he's this guy that they send all these new artists to that they're like hey man this guy needs initiate hey break them in break them in man literally <laughs> break them cheeks in man and if we're going to start with it, you might as well start with Usher. Because Usher, he really groomed. Like, that was who he groomed. And, and originally, I think we all thought that it was he was 14, right? He was 14 years old. He gets sent to what they call Puffy's Flavor Camp. Now, LaFace Records had him signed, and he was 14. L.A. Reed ran the label. Well, they were having issues because Usher, his voice was changing. They couldn't get him to sing in that space they needed him to sing in. So the label wanted to have a bunch of voice coaches for him, help him sing. Well, L.A. Reed was like, nah. 
He's like, I'm going to send him to Puppy's Flavor Camp and he'll be all right when he gets out of there. That's weird, man. Like, first off, Puffy's Flavor Camp. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody has a clue what went on there. He just had artists that were shipped out there, young artists. And he apparently helped them. And when they got out of that camp, they were ready to go. Usher goes to his camp. Clearly, when Usher gets out of that camp, he becomes a megastar for years after that. Years and years. Well, the but it's like the crazy part is that the album that he completed under Puffy and Puffy was a part of was not very successful. Puffy goes, all right, he's ready. And then the, his six-time platinum-selling album, Puffy's not a part of. So that's where I was like, hmm, that's kind of strange. It's almost like he had to do his part. It wasn't about Puffy making the success. It was just like, hey, you got to put in this work real quick. And to your point about Usher, I'll, I'll play this 2016 Howard Stern clip where Usher kind of explains a little bit of that. And we can hear how he felt. And he doesn't really say it, but you can tell that he was Ernst. I moved to New York City and I lived with Sean Puffy Combs for a year. That's the crazy thing. Now, that yeah. was L.A. Reid's idea, right? We're sending New you over York to City. something called Puffy Flavor Camp. There you go. To learn <laughs> Flavor some Camp. Yeah, Flavor Camp. Yeah, that's what it was called. And you're going to go to Puff Daddy's. He's gonna In pre- the 90s. Do you understand what that's like? Puffy's place was like just filled with chicks and orging like nonstop, right? No, not really. Come I mean, on. but did I, hey, it was curious. I got a chance to see some things. Yeah, but you were 13. What were you I seeing? I went there to see the lifestyle. Right. And, and I saw it. And it was, and it was, <laughs> but I don't know if I could indulge and understand what I was even looking at. It was, it was pretty wild. It was, so nobody was tried to, you know, some woman didn't come along. I didn't and, say that. Okay. I, I didn't but say that. <laughs> what I did say is that there were very curious things taking place. Uh huh. And I didn't necessarily understand it. Uh huh. Biggie Smalls was Biggie there. Biggie Smalls was there. Lil Kim, Craig Mack. All you know, these people all are hanging these, around. All, yeah, man. Faith Evans. Jodeci, Mary okay? J. Blosh. They ain't know nothing about this shit. Oh. <laughs> I was having a good time. You know what I mean? Does he have you doing any chores? Are you doing dishes at all? I mean, to keep you humble somewhat? Or are you just like, can you stay up till four in the morning with them and party? I mean, I could. I yeah. actually stayed up longer than them. And, I, and, what, and do you have money? What's going on? I mean, I had like per diem. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I had like, you know, what like a, a living. life. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. 14 years old. You're a dad now. Would you ever send your kid to Puffy Camp? <laughs> Hell no. See? See? Hell no. <laughs> he, and he doesn't get into it, but you see when they're like, oh, was there just a bunch of orgies going on? He's like, eh, not really like, like with women. Because they said specifically women. And I think, too, what people don't realize, too, is it's not like they just go and get these little boys and just, you know, molest them right away and fuck with them. They, they bring a woman to them. You know, like, man, you're 13 years old. You got some, like, 22, 25 model type chick that's all over you. And I think that's how they start breaking them. And they kind of get them involved in this weird sex ritual that, in turn, becomes uh, beyond weird. So you can get that threshold where your cheeks are getting clapped. And to make it a little further, we got this clip. It's like uh, Puffy's having a party at his house and Kevin Hart's there. And he's kind of like, you know... It looks like he just has a camera. He's on the mic. I guess they're on some kind of live feed. And this is how Puffy reacts when uh, Usher comes along. Usher off the guard stage. That's my brother right here from day one. We used to wake up and, I mean, damn, pause. But like, check this out. 
I mean, I mean, back in the days when he was like 10 and I was a little bit older, his older brother, we used to fight over the over the Frosted Flakes, you know what I'm saying, before Paws was invented, you know what I'm saying, but it's my brother for real, we used to actually wrestle off of the, off of the Frosted Flakes because he used to always get up early with me, now he's one of the richest stars in the world. And I'm yo, like, what the fuck did Puff just say? Nobody's going to acknowledge this for me. Puff just said we used to wrestle over the Frosted Flakes and we're streaming live. That was stupid. Listen, that was fucking stupid. Listen. You can't see this. You're hearing the audio. First of all, like we were saying, he was there 13, 14. And then he's like, oh, I knew him since he was 10. So he's wrestling a 10-year-old. Kind of weird, right? And that first pause, he's like, we used to wake up every morning. Ah, man, he caught himself. And then even Kevin Hart was like, bro, do you realize what you are saying on a live stream to everybody? And then he gets his arm around Kevin Hart in like a headlock, like, shut up. Like, and then that's kind of where the video ends. Yeah, that's the part. Well, you see Kevin's face. And it's not shock like, oh, my God, you did this to Usher. It's more like, hey, man, you're putting the secrets out there. Like, we ain't supposed to be talking about this. Like, what are you doing? And even Usher was like, eh, man, come on now. And he does talk about when he's 10. So at this point, we now know before Flavor Camp, Usher's stayed with Diddy for like a year, waking up together, in the bed together. At the time, Diddy Wrestling. was like 19. 19 and a 10-year-old. So we know that he's a groomer. We know he groomed Usher into the game. Matter of fact, let's, let's talk about Chili real quick. Because she talks there. She was asked about her relationship with Usher on a Russ Parr morning show. And if you know anything about Chili, uh, she used to date Usher. And she replies with, just make sure your man isn't bisexual. She puts it out there. And she's from TLC, by the way, guys, if you don't know who Chili is, just to give the heads up on people. These is an old group. Yeah, but it, chasing waterfalls, so man. If you watch other guys, you'll know. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and to go back to the so, grooming yeah. stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, he's a groomer. That's uh, I groomer, gatekeep, occultist. That's kind of like his role, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And then... You see it come full circle because Usher signs a little boy who's also with L.A. Reid, discovered by like L.A. Reid. Uh, L.A. Reid's also in the mix again. Justin Bieber. And Usher's pushing Justin Bieber, you know, with L.A. Reid. And they're like, well, he has to go to Flavor Camp, right? Well, he goes and spends 48 hours with just him and Puffy and his friend. And there's a whole video. You can go look up the entire video. I only have a like a little clip of it. But just listen to what he's saying again. He is saying some weird, weird shit that you're talking about. It is a 15-year-old. And now at this time, I think, what, puppy's like 35? He's in his like... 35. Yeah, like... Yeah, he's in his mid-30s. Yeah, mid-30s. And he's with a 15-year-old kid. And this is what he has to say when he's chilling with a 15-year-old kid. Right now, he's having 48 hours with Diddy, him and his boy. Um, they're having the times of their lives, like... like, like the you know, where we hanging out and what we doing, um, we, we can't really disclose, but um, it's definitely a 15-year-old's dream. Um, you know, I, I, I have 
been given custody of him. You know, he yeah. signed to Usher. I'm signed to Usher. I, I had legal guardianship of Usher when, when you know, he, he did his first album. I did yes. Usher's first album. I don't really, I don't have legal guardianship of him, but for the next 48 hours, he's with me. So, um, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and we're going to go full, buck full crazy. Going crazy. Crazy. What the hell is buck full crazy, man? That just all the things he says. It ain't buck. He said butt. Oh, he said going full butt crazy, man. Because I went online and was like checking it out, and they were like, "Nah, that man said full butt crazy, man." So, and I encourage people to go look at the video because when he's talking to Justin, he's licking his lips, and bro, it is just filthy, bro. Like it's so crazy, but he's showing him the lifestyle. He's showing him all these cars. He's telling Justin when he turns 16 next year, he's going to give him this Lambo or Ferrari. I don't remember what it was. But he's showing him all the stuff, and he's licking his lips like the whole time. Like, he stuck with me for 48 hours. He's like, but I can't tell y'all what we're, what's going to be going on. We're going to go full butt crazy. Cheeks are loose, baby. That's what he's doing. He's been loosening cheeks for 30 years. Yeah, it's still going, man. I mean, who? who it's still going. How many artists have went through there that weren't successful, though? I mean, because not every single one is uh, guaranteed to be a success. Even back in with the occult, like, that's what people don't get. It's like, it's not like every single person, it, it, they're, they're putting their eggs in a bunch of different baskets. Because they don't know who's exactly going to blow. They can't predict how people are going to react to everybody. So you see it with these artists, but they even have... Court documentation. This is not just, oh, like speculation, you know. I mean, obviously, you can hear how he's talking. That's weird to talk to a 15-year-old that he's going to get now. But wild with a 15-year-old, he's going to wrestle a 10-year-old? Like, is he also oiling himself up and fucking wrestling? You know what I mean? Like, what is going on here? Like, it's not how you talk about young kids. Well, think about this, Sean. Uh, you know, because Justin Bieber... Got really screwed up in the industry. I mean, dude, you can go, you can just type in like Justin Bieber collages of like all of these Hollywood elites, like rubbing him down in public. And like, I just feel like he really was a piece of meat there, man, for a long time. And I think when he got to like his, you know, late teens, early 20s, when he was really trying to find himself, when he got all tatted up and he was kind of like, you know, in a weird spot. And if people don't remember in 2020, he came out with a song called Yummy. And if you watch the music video, it's literally about kids getting groomed. It's a whole music video about pedophiles, man, in the industry. And it shows kids getting groomed constantly in different segments of the industry, which was really crazy, man. Because like the song, when you hear it and you don't see the video, you're thinking like he's talking about a girl and it's like this good thing. You know, oh, we're hanging out and it's, you know, this girl's yummy. Like, no, he's talking about like the seediness going on in Hollywood, in the music industry. And he talks about that the whole time. And it's it's really crazy, man. I remember when the video came out and I was like, what am I watching? Literally, what am I watching right now? Well, it went crazy too because it was also during the Pizzagate, um, a little bit after the Pizzagate, and that was killing it on TikTok. And they were talking about the red shoes. And a lot of people said that one guy was like supposed to resemble L.A. Reid. Like, it, it was very very disgusting how it was played out and there was like different segments that people were breaking down like there's plenty of like breakdowns of the video like everybody was like man he's he's pretty much calling everybody out and there was a couple like yeah. where he was 
I think he was that again, another person that goes to religion because I think that's like something that people are like, well, I don't know what else to do, right? They're, I don't know what else right. is going to help me. And they're trying to escape this weird Hollywood music industry, entertainment industry lifestyle that sucks everybody up. Check this out, Sean. You're talking about the religion thing. I told you this is going to play a thread throughout this whole thing right here. Well, yeah, he does. He, in the early 2010s, he has some runs in with the law. He, you know, he's pissing in a mop bucket and all the stuff. So he decides that, you know, he's going to turn to Christ. But he starts hanging out with this pastor called Carl Lentz. And Carl Lentz was the senior pastor and co-founder of Hillsong NYC. And if you know anything about Hillsong, it was started in, in Australia. And it was their one of their first mega churches. And they had several branches in Australia, but they also spread out all over the world. They had mega churches all through the world, but it was the first branch in the United States. So he's hanging out with this dude and Carl Lentz is just a seedy guy, man. I could probably do a, we could do, we could do a whole episode about Carl Lentz because he's got, dude, he's connected to Kevin Durant, Selena Gomez, Chris Pratt. You can go down the line of all the people that he's been connected to. So really, when you think about Hillsong, it's more like a cult, right? Lentz is more of a kind of a cult leader, but he's tied in with the original Hillsong Church. And if you go to the original Hillsong Church with Frank Houston, who from 1922 to 2004, that's that's when he was alive. He's been around for a long time running these churches. This dude gets hit with multiple child sexual abuse allegations. The entire Hillsong Church is built on the backs, literally, of small boys. He was raping small children. We're talking back in the 50s, 60s. He's been doing it forever, man. And his son was covering it up while it was happening. And his son was also a pastor of Hillsong Church. So again, this is tied directly to Justin Bieber, this pedophilia in the church, this nastiness in the church. And that's why I keep saying this stuff about Mace and some of these other guys that turn in the church. I don't know necessarily if it was a good thing what they were doing. I think there was still seediness going on behind the scenes with whatever they learned in the music industry, they ended up taking with them. And this is just a prime example of that. Definitely. And another key name to drop out is James Rosemond, who is also known as Jimmy the Henchman. So in 2013, sensational allegations emerged from James Roseman's criminal case revealing the government is investigating bisexual rapper and music mogul Diddy for having sex with underage boys. These claims have circulated in the industry from the 90s and when Diddy took a 15-year-old usher. See, the age keeps changing. It's like whoever reports it. So I, I'm with you if... They didn't deny it. He said 10 years old. So that's... I'm, in front of Usher. Yeah, from Usher. In front of Usher. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And he didn't deny he, it. Yeah, yeah that, so I'm going with... He was, he was 10. Now, he's been very silent on this whole issue because obviously he, the case... And then we, we haven't heard of this. You have to dig to find this. That's why I think when I was talking earlier about the changing of the names, because they say Diddy, if you're still... A, Older people are going to be looking at Puff Daddy and Puppy, and and really all the documentation is Sean Diddy Combs, and he keeps legally changing his name. It's not just, hey, I'm Puffy now, call me this. He's changing his name legally. And it says, Roseman, also known as Jimmy the Henchman, is a government informant facing life in prison for cocaine trafficking and murder for hire. Prior to his arrest, Roseman ran music management company Czar Entertainment. But what he wasn't telling the public is it was czar, as in drug czar. 
shifting large quantities of cocaine all over America. Bills covered in bills covered in mustard and sent through the mail. Roseman was also behind a shooting ambush of rapper Tupac Shakur in New York recording studio. And James Roseman, Jimmy the Henchman, is connected to Puffy. Right? And there's a lot of allegations. Even we talked about Eminem dropped it and said, hey, you know, who killed Tupac? Everybody knows, hey, the hit was put out by Puffy. Everybody knows that Puffy has uh, a bunch of crips in uh, uh, Cali that kind of like do some of his dirt. They're, you know, they're his bodyguards. If people don't know, a lot of rappers, since they say a lot of street shit, when they go to certain areas, they hit up the largest gangs and they get protection. And one of those guys is named Keefy D. And I would, if you really want to go and see, hear some crazy shit, go look up Keefy D interviews on Vlad all over. I mean, he's got some wild stories. And this one I'm about to tell you, he talks about an Illuminati party. And I am going to put it out there a little bit. I'm sure other people have said it as well, that I think that Puffy did kill Tupac, but not for the reasons why people think. I think that Puffy and Tupac were lovers. I think that they were together and I think that they had a falling out and it became domestic violence, right? <laughs> Cause they were a couple and it became to a further reason. That's <laughs> if you hear what KVD, I'm going to play KVD real quick. And this really pushed me more to really think that. Uh, it was just a lot of weird shit going on. And, you know what I'm saying? The vibes ain't there. I guess that that's what Tupac was talking about. The Illuminati and shit. It's like Pimica Fox was with this big gay man. He was six, nine. They called him his name six, nine. He had the red hair with a big old booty and shit. Nobody was gay no more. What the fuck is going on here? It's just a lot of a lot of weird shit, dude. You know what I'm saying? That shit. It ain't right. You know what I'm saying? I guess that's what Tupac. I guess he wanted to get up out of the Illuminati or something. But I, I seen it yet. Matter of fact, MC Light pulled off with Tanisha Arnold. You know what I'm saying? In her brand new 560, black one. Yeah, 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 that shit weird, dude. Yeah, that's some weird ass shit going on, you know? Yeah. And what was Tupac doing at the party, yo? Him and Puff was there together. They was there, you know what I'm saying? That's why I don't know how they fucking fell out or nothing like that. They was road dogs, you know what I'm saying? They even got pictures of them. He got on that, uh, uh, that blue sweater with the turtleneck. Him and him hugged up like this with the black hat. Have you ever seen that picture? No, I don't recall, but I'm pretty sure I came across it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That picture there, that they was at that party that day. Yeah, it's just like a bunch of weird shit. That whole fucking yeah, that shit weird, dude. <laughs> I just because you can't even say nothing else. You're like, I don't know, man. I don't know what I walked into. Like he's just like he went to the wrong party. He was like, man. And there's a lot of people that have said throughout the years about Puff. And Tupac, there was like this whole thing of Puff, you know, hated Tupac and they weren't cool. There was this like weird thing going around. But when you really talk to the inner circles, they were really close. And that's why he accused the Puff of getting him shot at that studio, which Jimmy Henchman was a part of that. And I think it was some kind of lover's quarrel. And I think maybe some like occultic 
Because, you know, they're saying Illuminati. I think we need to stop saying Illuminati because it just taints it. Even with, like, they go Illuminati. Free. Look, we know there's all different sectors, but we I think it's easier to just say a cult because there's different fractions. You know what I mean? Everybody has their own little fraternities in these occults, it's, and they all play different roles. I think maybe Tupac was trying to get out. Maybe he wasn't. But I definitely think that there's some lover lane, Tupac and Puffy. I'm going to say it. Tupac. Fucked Puffy and Puffy fucked Tupac. Well, probably, actually, I think Puffy fucked Tupac, honestly. Like, that's probably really how it went down. I don't doubt it at all. Now, I, I might disagree on the fact that he killed Pac. I don't think Pac's dead. I think that's some other shit that's coming down the pipe later on. Anybody wants to listen to what we think about Tupac, you can go back. We did a whole episode called the Tupac Psyop where we break down Tupac and all of his ties into the occult and everything else too. But you brought up a good point when you brought up Tupac. I like it. You know, I haven't really thought about that with Tupac and, and Diddy, but they were really tight and it makes sense. It really does. And I, and I've been very much on board with you with Pac at least being by, cause there's just been too much evidence of a lot of the things, even though some of the pictures, of him and like the one in the bathtub with the roses and just the way he's laid out. It's very occultic and very homosexual on purpose. It's supposed to be, right? But there's there's another one. Diddy and Jay-Z. So a lot of people know this about Jigga, but he at least is bisexual too. There's a lot going on. There's a picture rolling around. They're at a party kissing each other in the mouth. Hey, you can look it up. There's a, there's one with Diddy kissing Rick Ross in the mouth on stage. This is kind of a known thing. This is what these guys do, man. They're in these fraternities together. Behind the scenes, like you said, stop calling it the Illuminati. It's whatever that they're a part of. It could be multiple things. But it is. Talking about Jay-Z. I mean, listen, man. Jay-Z's whole life, the past five, six years, he is literally mirrored Basquiat which is considered one of the greatest black painters of all time, which that's up for debate because a lot of people talk about it like his paintings weren't that great. But during a time period of the 80s when he was pushing it, his paintings were huge. Jay-Z's even mirrored himself to look like Basquiat. And Basquiat was what? Bisexual. Big time, as a matter of fact. Matter of fact, before he became a famous painter, he was a prostitute turning tricks. Dressing in drag. And this is who these guys mimic, uh, mold themselves after. Yeah, and 50 even clowns him on that on Big Boy in the morning. He's like, man, you know, you got the greatest rapper supposedly live looking like a gay painter. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he talks a little bit. He kind of talks in code. But if you break it down and you listen to it, he's really talking about like, hey, man, 50, uh, uh, Jay-Z and Puffy are together. He's like, man, it's a known fact, yeah. man. It's kind of really out there. And that's why I think, I don't know what 50's role is in this whole thing, but he is allowed to talk reckless. You know, he's about to talk reckless. I've got a theory. I've got a theory on what I think 50 Cent is to the industry. And I've been like really knocking this around for a while. And we talk about um, humiliation rituals and how that's a huge part of Freemasonry, Illuminati, whatever these behind the scenes organizations are. It's a big part of them escalating. And a lot of times it's supposed to be a continual humiliation. It's not just one time you're humiliated. As you ascend, and I think 50, that's his role. I think he's the humiliator. I think he's supposed to 
humiliate these guys. And I think that's why he gets the pass, right? I think in a lot of ways, maybe similar to MGK, he kind of was already connected behind the scenes with certain things before he really hit the industry. Because when you think about it, he connected himself with Eminem and Dre really quick. We know Dre, he's gay is all out too. So you got that going on. And a lot of people have said that's how Eminem got in there. Eminem got them cheeks clapped by Dre. And that, and don't forget, ICP was saying that hard when Eminem got in the game. And I know they had the 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 whole beef and everything, but these guys know things behind the scenes in the industry that we don't aren't pretty well, it's to small they too. Play in that. it's a lot smaller than people think like it's like because it's a niche you know what i mean not everybody right like, i know there's a lot of people that are rappers and try to rap now but when you're in the industry it's not as many people as you think it's a lot smaller world and you deal with all these same people because you do shows you you know you might you're gonna cross paths with all of them from the rise to the fall like the whole time you're gonna cross paths with all these people and everybody knows that ins and outs of what's going on like because you're dealing with different record labels and you heard this and this guy told you this this guy got signed here hey you heard about now some are rumors but then there's a lot of shit that's actually seen and when you hear it time and time again even like when we talk about like cryptids and stuff if you keep hearing the same messages over and over from a bunch of different people you got to start listening and be like hey what's going on and uh, just to lighten the mood a little bit, we, let's get the uh, the lead humiliator himself, the, the the occultic humiliator himself on Breakfast Club 50 talking about Puffy. Now, now Fifth, when you continuously call Puff gay, does that affect no. your relationships in Hollywood? I don't go. No, I don't call. I don't call him gay. I said, let I me see. read it. Let me read <laughs> okay, it, Fifth. Oh, my God. Sorry, I can no longer Shades help you guys. <laughs> Soon you will all be gay and happy. You are all now left under leadership of Puffy Daddy. Report to the nearest rainbow. Dinner thieves in theaters. Oh, that's why he says things. He doesn't even know what he's saying is like fruity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he says something fabulous and he goes, yo, no, we, no, but me and you, we ain't party. Like, we need to party. What is he talking about? And then it's going off. When it's people say that to me, I get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I get uncomfortable. Like, he said, he said something to me one time, a long time ago, oh, at Chris Lighty's wedding. He told me he'd take me shopping. I looked at him like, what the, what the, what'd you just say? <laughs> Let me move, man, before I do something. You're going to make me mess up the wedding. Oh, oh that's man. a nice gesture. Let's Let me get out of No, dude, take me that's still what a guy oh, says to a girl. Nice <laughs> he told him he would take him shopping. And then 50's like, what? What the fuck you say, man? Like, like whether what role he plays. Could you imagine a grown ass man like, hey, daddy, I'd like to take you shopping? <laughs> and to like <laughs> go a little bit further on what 50 was talking about. There was an interview of Drink, Drink Champs. If you don't know what Drink Champs is, it's actually part of Puffy's company, Noriega does drink champs. And in one of the earlier episodes, you can tell Puffy was definitely lit. Like he was faded. Like he came in, just barged in like, hey, what's up? And this is how he introduces himself. I like when you like this, daddy. Yeah, yeah, where you put my daddy, yeah, I like when you're oh, you scrambling and scraping for shit. I like that. You know, I'll be practicing. I got yeah. no- through the whole time, he's calling her, hey, daddy. Hey, daddy. Well, I like how you do that, daddy. And then you could tell, like, Fabulous is uncomfortable. Fabulous is also part of that interview that day, and he looks super uncomfortable. And he starts telling, like, what 50 was saying. Oh, we need a party. No, no. And he's like, we partied before, man. And he's like, no, no, no. But we need a party party, me and you. And it's like, whoa, what the hell are you talking about, bro? Like, some weird-ass shit. And at the end, he does his mer- best Marilyn Monroe impression for Fabulous, because it was his birthday. And tell me this is not the gayest shit you've ever heard in your life. 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to fabulous. The only nigga that got the name that I want. Happy birthday to you. Thank you, my brother. Let's take a shot for that, boy. That's all you gotta say. That just tells you this. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. And just real quick, so he did like a guest spot on uh, Devontae Hines, who's also known as Blood Orange, uh, who goes by several names, which we don't even need to go down that rabbit hole where I talk about people with name changes and how they re-evolve or reimagine themselves. But he did a song called Hope. And what's really odd about the music video, and I encourage everybody to go check it out, when Diddy, his verse comes on, it goes to two men kissing. And in the lyrics, it's Diddy basically saying that he's internalizing that he wants to be loved, but he can't express himself the way he wants to. And he's like, to to be loved the way like I really want to be loved, but that I know how I really want to be loved, but I'm scared to really, really feel that. You know, it's like you want something, but you know, you you don't know if you can handle it. So he basically is saying, like, in this song, while they're showing homosexual imagery, that he's internalizing how he really wants to love that way, but because of he's who he is, he can't do that. So he's actually telling you, again, even in song. <laughs> yeah, it's on some secret love shit, man, for sure. Like, <laughs> they definitely have some low down, and there's a lot. And to kind of bring it to modern, what is going on that this all has been going on from, so you're talking about basically from 91, when he kind of pops on the scene, probably like early 90s, probably a little bit before that, because he's doing parties and different events. To you know, you got the '91 era, the the event. You got uh, him at Uptown Records to, to Bad Boy, the whole Bad Boy curse. You got all these little boys all around. Uh, all these rumors of not even rumors, pretty much a fact that he's at least bare minimum bisexual. I'm with you. I think it's uh, uh I I think he's bisexual. I don't think that he's like full on gay. Like I think he gets with women. And I think he actually really likes probably women too. And I do think it's more of a power thing. It's like some kind of gatekeeper mentality. That's like, I'm going to, I'm going to break you like a buck. Like it's seriously like how they see it. And like, I'm going to introduce you to the industry and show you what you can have, but everything comes with a price to come full circle though, with what's going on in the news. Now you kind of did a little bit, you kind of danced around it on IG a little bit. With what's going on with Jamie Foxx. And I know a lot of people are talking about the shot, the clot shot, that, that that's what he got. And supposedly he got, you know, pushed to get a booster. There's even Peter McCullough uh, that was talking about like, hey, he talked to Jamie Foxx, but he won't reveal what Jamie said. But that Foxx should come forward with that. And, and, and that's all fine and dandy. That could very be part of what's happening. But I am with you in full agreement. I'm going to have to go full conspiracy gangster on that ass real quick and tell him like, Hey, it's Diddy, bro. Like it has to be. And when I introduced that segment, had Gene talking, had Wendy Williams talking and had Jamie Foxx talking. He's been saying stuff for a while now about 
puffy. Little breadcrumbs here and there. He's on Joe Rogan talking about, hey, man, he's kind of weird. And he's on, like, the late show. Like, I had a camera, and I'm just like, hey, what are you doing, man? Like, he's filming things, and Puffy's mad because he has a camera, and he's filming actions of what Puffy's doing with other dudes. So I do think that this is more than just some clot shot shit. I think this is really on some coach shit. And even recently, Cat Williams has come out and talked about how Jamie Foxx is gay. He he claims that his boyfriend is some dude that is signed uh, to Jamie Foxx's label. It's the only guy that's signed to Jamie Foxx's label. He says that Marcus Anthony is Jamie Foxx's boyfriend. Which, who cares? Again, grown men doing whatever the hell they want to do, cool. But with this whole secretive shit about Jamie Foxx, I really started going down what you said. Uh, well, me and you were talking about it. That this is really about Diddy and they're trying to cover it up with the clot shot. Because they don't want people to know what the real juicy details is going down. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. Because as soon as... The shot stuff started coming out. I was like, it's not that. I never thought it was that. I This is what I do know. You got critical thinkers who are kind of on the case, right? And when all this stuff started happening with Jamie Foxx, the first thing people started saying was, man, I think it's something going on with Diddy. I think it's because he's been running his mouth a lot in Hollywood. I, I do think this. I think some guys in Hollywood get to a point where they kind of want to get out, right? They, they don't really want to be a part of it. They feel like they're at a certain status level to where, you know what, I want to expose some of this or whatever. Maybe they got raped into it, right? And it's their way of kind of getting back or maybe trying to get a piece of them back is what they're trying to do. Maybe some of them do do meet God. You know what I mean? Maybe there's that piece of it too. I think anybody can have redemption, right? I don't know. I really don't know behind the scenes. But we do know that Jamie has always been at least by like that's been something in Hollywood man I've heard for years and years and years since he first came out man so that's never been in question and he was always connected to Diddy so in being connected to Diddy that close yeah and he was running his mouth about these parties like you said so the first thing I thought when I saw that was like it's not that I was like what they want to do is throw off the critical thinkers by saying it's the shot so you know, you got that crowd that wants to get all worked up about that. Like, see, see, it's taking people out. See, it's taking people out. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it is. But we're not saying that it's not. But it's not in this case. Like, it's not every case that happens that somebody drops that that's what it is, right? I don't think that's it at all. I think he got really messed up. Maybe they tried to kill him. Very similar to like a Pete Davidson, right? Like, they tried to off him. Maybe he lived through it. Maybe he didn't. Maybe who's coming back out as Jamie Foxx ain't Jamie Foxx this time around. We don't know how that works, any of that cloning stuff, if that's the route that it is. But I'm definitely thinking this is a cult thing, man. It's not this it's not medical. It's totally a cult. It's some sort of ritual. Whether it it happened and they ended the ritual, or if it was a botched ritual and Jamie's still around and It'll be interesting to see what he's saying when he comes back. Because all we've seen is a couple of little videos from his phone, which in this day and age is very easy to deep fake things, right? And even some people were looking at the videos and I've watched the videos. It's hard to tell. It's like, is that him or is it him? You don't know, man. And when somebody's sick too or not doing well, they're not going to look the same either. So it's just kind of off. The whole situation's off. And the fact that his his daughter's been the one coming out saying like oh he's doing great he's playing pickleball he's been doing whatever but nobody's seeing him in public at all 
He hasn't even been seen in public, but apparently he's out there, but that's only hearing it from the family. And we talk about, like, you know, I don't like the Q people. Shouts out to the Q people. The last, uh, there's probably, like, one Q guy that listens, hate listens to us. He's like, fucking guy, these sons of bitches. They're going to say Q at some point. I'm going to be mad. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) the Q crowd, they call it the Great Awakening. I mean, I saw that trending. Actually, today I even saw Freemasons trending. I saw, man, now Twitter has all kinds of, and I think that's part of the psychological operation they are playing on everybody. They're letting, like, but I think the veil is really falling. And I have a feeling that this is going to be something that really shakes up the industry. I think it's more like, you know, there's certain people I think you go after and nobody really says anything. But you're starting to hear other people like, hey, man, I think it is that Diddy shit. And I think maybe we'll see Diddy uh, uh, not around much longer. I, I have this feeling that if it goes the way that I think. I'm not saying Jamie Foxx is going to go out there and say, oh, it was Diddy. I think he's going to say it was the shot if he says anything or uh, whether it's a clone or not. I don't know about any of that. But I think if he does say anything, if he is alive, and he whether clone, not clone, I think it's going to be about the shot, kind of get it on that level because we know they're trying to ramp that fear back up so we can have people scared and have us divided on that. But I think inside... A lot of these Hollywood people that are not necessarily the total elite, I think there's this like breaking of them as well that they're like, man, I'm tired of this shit, man. Why do they always go? You know what I mean? That people are starting to realize they're targeted, that they're not safe, even though they've done everything that they're supposed to do to get where they're at. And they're starting to see that. And I think we're going to start seeing alliances um, really kind of exposing shit a little bit more. No, man, I completely agree with you there. And I think you're going to see a lot of different infighting as well. You know, even within these like societies too, man. So you're going to see a lot more of that as we get to, you know, a good word for it is a great awakening, man. I mean, even the Bible talks about how in the end times, um, we don't know when that is, but when you get closer to those times, more people are going to be aware of what's happening before we get to some crescendo. And I think a lot of people are waking up, man, and in a lot of ways. And it's shocking to me in a good way when I'm talking to the average person and they seem to be pretty aware of what's going on in the world. And I'm like, that's 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 encouraging that we're just not fighting like a, a lonely battle out here. Fuck this shit, I'm out. So we're out, right? Like, what a fucking episode, man. It was kind of fun to dig down for a while, but then there's that like whole little disgusting part where you're like, dang, man, I don't know how I can get this out of my brain because not only is Puffy bi, which is fine, you could be bi all you want, but he is a groomer, and it's documented that he's like grooming children for the music industry, and that he's a part of a lot of like underage boys. And funny that he named his record label Bad Boys, and it's like a baby, as like even on uh, um Biggie's Ready to Die album was a baby, like right. It's just this interesting things that they use, even like Nirvana, who is very like a cultish type of group. They also use a naked baby, and I think that is intentional. It's almost like waving the flag that, hey, man, we fuck kids over here. Like, that's what I think of it. And uh, P. Diddler, man, he's that's who he is, man. He's the Diddler. Absolutely, man. P. Diddler. That's his, that's his new name. That's what we're calling him. P. Diddler. Hey, 20, 2024, he's changed his name to P. Diddler. He's going to be like, yeah, I like that. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, yeah, dad. We all weird about that. <laughs> Hey, daddy. Oh, man, I couldn't believe that he was talking like that. 
But, you know, like we said earlier, you can go to killthemockingbirds.com to check out all the new stuff that we're doing. Check out episodes, check out our music, check out anything and everything all centralized at one point, but you could also follow us on Kill the Mockingbirds podcast on Instagram, Sean Chris Music on Instagram, and Van Tesla Music on Instagram. And we've got a lot of stuff in the works. Uh, like Joel said earlier, we're out of uh, Facebook slash Instagram jail, so we're able to get a little bit more free on there. we got a little stuff coming. and uh, yeah, yeah, man. And this whole episode did make me think of my baby, Jen Saki. And how I thought of her, man, was a notorious B.I.G. and Diddy song. And I just thought I would sing a little bit to her here. I've been around the world and I, yeah, yeah. We've been player hated. I don't know and I don't know why. They want us gingers faded. I don't know why they hate us. Is it our pale skin? I think it is. I think it is our pale skin. They hate on our Nephilim origins and the pure bloods that we're going to have in the future. Jinsaki, hit me up later, baby. And you know how we do it here. Wake the fuck up or get woke the fuck up. Brat! Brat! Bird killers! Bird killers!